Greetings, this is Kurt. Welcome to the second part of the three divisions of Book One. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and start with Episode One of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. Otherwise, please make yourself comfortable as we continue the performances. As always, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share on your favorite platform. Comments or questions directed to our email will be answered promptly. If you care to help in keeping these complex productions coming, please buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com slash the Harkin Theater. Unlike my wife's favorite morning beverage, me, I prefer tea with cream and sugar, the donation website coffee.com is spelled ko-fi.com slash the Harkin Theater. Refer to episode descriptions for the exact address, our email, and our secure website. And thank you for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling Part 2 Agents of the Dark One A Prince's Second Soldier. Chapter 8 A myriad of shapes moved as different colors faded in and slowly took definite form. Paul felt his eyelids lift slowly as his pulse increased. Sunlight leaked in and, at first, all he could discern were veils of white with shades of green shifting beyond. The strains of a sweet song caressed his ears, beautiful lyrical sounds that cherished life and lifted his spirit. One of the white veils moved aside, and an unfamiliar woman stepped near to replace a warm cloth upon his brow with a cool one. She smiled warmly upon seeing him awake. Where? His throat was painfully dry. The attendant turned her head and motioned for someone. Marie appeared at her side with a tray of cups and vials. She smiled with relief at him. A small metal cup was brought to his lips while someone lifted the pillow for him. Unresisting, Paul first sipped, found delight in the bittersweet taste, then drank deeply of the cup's contents. Another was pressed to his chin, and he drank until the rawness in his throat eased. Feeling a need to stretch, he shifted beneath the covers, noting stings from the bandaged wounds on his back and arms, then took the third cup in his fingers. The attendant nodded with approval, bowed, and went away. The veil came back down with only Marie beneath it. It's late morning. You're in the healing chambers of the palace. He snuggled into the covers, assured of his immediate safety, and enjoyed the downy comfort. Just as Marie opened her mouth to say something else, she heard on the far side of the room, May I serve thee, Lord? I am a special physician here at the request of His Majesty. 
Please attend to your normal duties. Yes, Lord. Marie frowned with mild exasperation. Another one? Paul squinted through the gauze at the approaching figure, but was unable to see much beyond the vague shapes. The veil opposite Marie was moved away, and a strong hand gripped his shoulder. I am pleased you are alive. I trust you are feeling well. Gaywan smiled pleasantly at them both. You are a difficult fellow to see. If I had just half the gauntlet of guards and physicians and attendants scurrying about for my benefit, I would be most content. How did you... She stopped, remembering the enchanter's illusory abilities. Never mind. Paul's mood darkened, and he averted his eyes from the friendly smile to stare into the large room beyond as he tried to decide whether or not he was angry. He crumpled the sheets in his fist and mulled over his feelings. Oblivious of Paul's changing mood, Gaywan sat on the edge of the bed and patted his shoulder. Why? Deciding he was, he turned a furious gaze on the enchanter. Why? Why didn't you tell me? Tell us! Tell you what? Paul stifled the urge to beat on the bed with his fist. You know damn well what? Last night, the specters. You could have told us. I could have said nothing. Gaywan stood and glared at him. I knew nothing of how things were to happen, only what was to be. To have said anything about the intruders was to court suicide. He stabbed an accusing finger at Paul. This is what I spoke of last night. Blame being thrown at the one partially knowledgeable, but powerless to affect matters directly. Like keel-hauling a sailor who warns of a coming storm but knows not from where it comes. Rothson's last act was to open a gateway, an unspecific gateway to somewhere in your realm, Paul, in hope that you might be nearby. Obviously his gamble worked, but he could not have simply plucked you away from your home. You had to make the decision to cross that threshold, thus you affected your reality. Accept the responsibility. He leaned as if he was going to walk away, but held his ground instead, and crossed his arms indignantly over his chest. Do not blame me for the karma of your desires, your actions, and their consequences. But you knew! You talk about responsibility! You knew the specters were going to attack! Silence! Gaewan swept his hand as he moved close. Their name is known as a curse by those of orthodox belief. You will bring fear of a plague on this place if anyone hears you. He hovered over Paul for a moment as a smirk threatened to shatter his stern facade. Mind you, there is a lot of talk about what shook down the walls of Marie's chamber. You've impressed a lot of people, whether it was totally your doing or not. My doing? Weren't you there? Didn't you see? Only on the perimeter of the specter's sphere of influence. I never saw what transpired between you, only felt the energies of the fight. The rigidity eased from his shoulders and he sat on the bed again, then rested a hand on Paul's shoulder and looked gravely into his eyes. Yes, I knew of the death sentence, but not how it would be carried out. But you... 
Paul was aghast at the coldness existing within Enchanters. You could have told us that much. No. Gawan's eyes flashed again, then softened as he looked to Marie for support. She only gazed back with confusion, not knowing what to think now that he admitted prior knowledge. Marie, you spoke often with Rothson. Certainly you understand the paradox. She shook her head. No, I don't. Gawan hung his head. No offense, but there is much I would give to have a companion who understands what I see. He closed his eyes and thought quietly for a moment. The laws of causation and of silence dictated my action. Picture, if you will, yourself standing blind and deaf before a stampede of wild horses. If I had given you more warning than I did, it would have been all three of us standing blind and deaf. We would have been killed. However, from my vantage point outside your predicament, I was able to offer a small degree of aid and insight that otherwise you would not have had. Reminded of an official Red Cross instruction given in life-saving techniques during his swimming classes, if you see one person drowning, try to save them, if possible. If you see two people drowning together and out of reach, let them either save each other or drown. Their panic would only serve to pull you down with them. A triple drowning. Paul supposed he understood Gaywan's position. And Gaywan had not let us drown, obviously. Rather, he had found a way to throw them a lifeline by opening the locked door that had separated them, then by speaking with him in the midst of the escalating battle. What stampede? The negative forces rushing to prevent this new order Paul has somehow invoked. New order? You, my friend. If they were trying to stop me and not Marie, why didn't they just attack me instead? These Spectres are a manifestation of the dark forces in this realm only. They had no jurisdiction, no direct power over you, until you chose to challenge them. If you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. He received curious looks from the other two, then sat up as he remembered. Wait a second. They were on my college campus the first time. They tried to stop us. So what you're saying doesn't make any sense. You're wrong, Paul. It came only for me. If not for Rothson's medallion, I would have been brought back without you and you would have forgotten everything. But here I am, by my own doing, and they still came after you. Marie and Rothson were the original connection that allowed you to traverse between realms. "'Twas their karmic debt to die by the specter's talons, "'the price paid for crossing invisible boundaries, "'for circumventing balance of the law. "'Rothson's last act of opening the gateway "'complicated matters further for the specters, "'allowing time for me to intervene.' "'Paul scowled as he considered this answer, "'then remembered his awful dream "'before the fight with the specters. "'Okay.' But I'm still stuck with the why. Why were the spec... He glanced around as he lowered his voice. What law? Gawan scratched his head with a frown. By sending Marie to find you, Rothson created a rift in the balance of order, 
Why exactly, I do not know. It is not uncommon for travelers to cross thresholds like that. Your presence should cause no more rift than a new soul being born. In any case, it is at the initiation of these imbalances that the negative force can act to impede any further progress, thus keeping things in their natural order. How many times have you, or anyone, set things in motion, embarked on a new venture, only to have it delayed, altered, or stopped by hitherto unforeseen and unrelated circumstance? This is a common function of the laws of balance. The, sp the specters are a manifestation of the metaphysical verge, the higher supernatural limits of these laws. In simpler words, Paul, you are an unbalancing factor. For some reason, you tip the cosmic scales. There is more good than evil, or something like that. But I'm still here, and they're gone. They are gone, aren't they? Oh, yes. Gaewan nodded reassuringly. For now, anyway. One can never be sure where the Dark One's agents are concerned. Are things still unbalanced? When negativity fails at canceling out a force of positive all at once, it finds other ways to rebalance the scales. Somewhere there will be sickness or war, but nothing so extreme that the common man cannot handle it. That's a pleasing thought. Gawan clapped him on the back. The same applies in the other direction. When positive fails to block negative, a famine in one place would be countered by a bounty harvest in another, and so on. Thus does the wheel of the universe turn. Marie settled next to Paul, quietly astounded at the enchanter's unfathomable patience. Mages were notorious for their short tempers when asked about difficult things. She reminded herself of Rothson and his patience with her before her journey to find Paul, and she decided that... Enchanters are, indeed, a far different breed. Pardon, Marie, is there another cup handy? Gawan raised his eyebrows at her, hopefully, preferably with something in it. He added, seeing her mischievous smile... Certainly, my lord physician. She filled a cup on the tray resting beside her and handed it to him. He smiled graciously, quaffed the contents quickly, then lowered the bronze cup and licked his lips thoughtfully. An herbal mixture for strength and well-being of the heart. I must mention the king's pharmacopoeia to Clough. Clough? Marie found interest in the elfin name. My love brother. We frequently banter herbal knowledge between us. What was in the elixir you gave us? The enchanter ran his finger along the inside of the cup, then sucked on it. I don't know what's in it. However, its purpose is to enhance the awareness between two people who share affection for one another. Through its effect were you made aware of the impending attack on Marie, despite their making you sleepwalk out of their way. Satisfied it was now dry, Gawan toyed with the empty cup, turning and tossing it absently, the polished metal sparkling like a magical toy in the sunlight. So you did intervene, didn't you? That was your voice I heard last night. Gawan nodded reluctantly. 
Yes, in some ways you might say I intervened, yet I did nothing but delay the specters for a few moments. How did you find out about all of this? Rothson died before you met him, didn't he? It was by chance that I came by the knowledge. The enchanter shut his eyes as if warding off something unpleasant. He opened his eyes again and stared blankly across the room beyond the other veiled beds. Rothson, whom I knew only through his writings which I study, and a brief letter inviting me to meet with him sent warning of the agents of the Dark One. His eyes misted. I had hoped to meet him in the physical. There were so many questions I wanted to ask. He rubbed his hands over his face as if to wash off the sadness. Rothson had left an appeal for help to somehow prevent the negative forces from killing you. He erred while protecting you the first time, thus was helpless to act any further. He touched his hand to Marie's. And despite any horrible images given to you by the specters, Bomali is alive and safe. Bomali? He had almost forgotten about Marie's horse. Bomali? Safe? With the strong connection between you and your horse, I suspected they might try to kill him as well. I was able to quietly sneak him out of his stall at the Royal Guard stables and... Quietly? I raised him from a colt. He wouldn't have gone with anyone else without making a fuss, especially at night. The enchanter smiled confidently. True. He was sleepy, and it took some careful explaining. You're a horse whisperer, too? Gawain appeared puzzled at this question. If you mean that I can talk to horses, no, I cannot. However, my elfin horse, Maledon, is quite capable of conversing with the common breeds. Elf horse? You will find Bomali at the Blue Star Inn, no doubt quite content, as I made sure they left him with a feed of fresh oats and barley sugar, as well as access to their ample meadow. Elf horse? Gods, you've made a friend for life, Gaywan. Bomali is terrible about his sweets. Regardless, I am truly, eternally grateful. Elf horse? Both looked at Paul realizing he was probably a little out of his depth. A rare breed of highly intelligent horses. They usually will bond with only one master, and it is said, both learn a secret language. But they can be quite stubborn if they believe they understand something better than you. This is why men prefer the common horses. Easier to train. This is true, but a more loyal companion would be difficult to find. Bomali's company accepted. With interest, Paul noticed that his was the only occupied bed in the large chamber. He found comfort in the bright wash of sunlight pouring through the tall mullioned windows along opposing walls, giving the room a cheerful air. The distant clatter of cups and utensils could be heard as an attendant prepared something near where a huge kettle steamed purposefully over a low fire. With an ache in his heart, Paul realized that he did not want to leave, but wasn't sure how to stay. How might I either stay here or come back when I wish, Gaywan? Gaywan peered at him sideways with an incredulous look. How am I supposed to know? 
That is of your sphere, not mine. Paul shrugged. I just assumed you might, seeing as you knew so much already. I am an enchanter, Paul, not a demigod. Intuition is my frequent mentor and companion. I have no idea how to travel as you have, between kingdoms distant and separate. I'm still working on traveling around in this one. He smiled and stood away from the bed. And speaking of which, I must off with Maledon back to the great city of Cresden and a ship home to Fellstar and Hopetown. He regarded Marie almost fondly. There is a young woman I wish to find. Taking Paul's hand in a firm grasp, he nodded respectfully. I hope you and Marie find and cherish what you seek together. Perhaps we shall meet again someday. Thanks be to you, gay one. May the light giver bless you. At a loss for proper farewells, especially when he was just getting used to someone, Paul managed to mumble, That goes double. Gawain stopped and, with interest, tilted his head at Marie. Thou art a freethinker. As is my king. She nodded once. May the blessings be. He turned and left the chamber, his emerald green cloak billowing about him. What's a freethinker? Before Marie could reply, the scurry of small feet drew her attention to the approach of a young page boy in royal livery, complete with quilted tunic, frilled collar, and lace cuffs. He halted breathlessly before Paul and handed him a scroll. Sitting up, Paul inspected the royal seal embossed on the wax and, with a feeling of importance, broke it and unrolled the thick paper. He was immediately stumped by the strange runes and realized he had never before had the opportunity to read the Phaeacian language. He handed the scroll to Marie. Here, royal messenger. He hated admitting his own illiteracy. I can't read your alphabet. Alphabet? She took the parchment and scanned it quickly. If Lord Paul is feeling well... His Majesty formally requests a private audience with him in His Majesty's private chambers for an informative chat. The afternoon suns were warm, with a swift breeze sweeping the rolling hillocks surrounding the fortress city. Paul sat on the crown of his favorite knoll and examined a gold ring set with a sparkling blue gem, a gift from the king. Slipping it onto a finger, he admired how it looked with the clothing supplied by the royal tailor. Nearby, Marie collected a bunch of wildflowers, sending clusters of purple and yellow butterflies fluttering every time she moved a few steps. Her dark hair was unbraided and waved in the gentle breeze caressing the amber tassels of wild wheat and white petals of blossoming grasses. Paul wondered about himself and his place in this world. He had fought through so much, yet still knew so little. Through Marie's perceptions, again, I've realized our power. At the same time, I can feel the inevitable. I'll be leaving this world again, and soon. I can only hope it's not as painful as before. The thought of being back in his world with its problems and without Marie kept pressing at him, darkening his moments with her. 
She came back up the hill and proudly presented her bouquet to him. Paul couldn't help smiling. Where I come from, it's usually the guy who gets flowers for the girl. Same here. She sat beside him. But I'm different. That's fine. Be whatever you want to be. Just don't leave me. Perceiving his thoughts, she shook her head and leaned against him. They sat and listened to the wind, the grasses, and the waterfowl on the lake shore. A shadow fell over them and they looked up. Gaewan stood gazing down at them mysteriously, his eyes brighter than either one remembered. He looked more mature somehow in his eyes, and Paul sensed a strange vibration emanating from him. With a brusque motion, the enchanter reached his hands toward both of them. Uncertain, Paul looked first at the hand, then again at Gaewan's eyes before lifting his own fingers to grasp. He and Marie found themselves brought immediately to their feet. Mourn you not. Gaewan stared, unblinking at him. The choices were made long before you were born into your world. He released their hands and stepped away to gaze out beyond them. Gaewan? Both you and Marie will not continue to exist here. If you do, stronger forces than specters will arise. Paul and Marie both stiffened with fear. What does he mean? Is this a new death sentence? Paul wrapped an arm protectively around Marie and prepared to shapeshift. Unlike specters, he knew Gaewan could not fly or follow him. These forces will seek you out anywhere you go. Therefore, we make their task as difficult as possible. Despite our efforts, you must be circumspect. What are you saying? Paul was disturbed by this enigmatic side of the man he thought he had started to fathom. Someday, you will understand. He looked directly at them again. For protection were you placed on your world in your time. No longer shall you traverse the gateway. Yet I hope you will return and claim your rightful place on faith. Hold on here, gay one. You just said this morning that you knew nothing about me. The enchanter frowned. This morning? then smiled ever so slightly. That was a long time ago. What? Now wait just a minute here. Gaewan shook his head. There is no waiting. There is only now. He brought up his hands and molded something unseen between his palms. His eyes suddenly shone bright silver. Until another day, my friend. Paul's gut went cold at this vision of power and he stepped back with Marie close beside him, then reached into his consciousness for the sensations that would change him into the giant eagle. At the same instant, Gaewan thrust his hands toward them, palms outward. A ball of white fire flew directly at them. A shuddering energy swiftly overwhelmed Paul, and his eyes were blinded by the fire. Thunder and light rushed in like an ocean wave. He spun out of control as the windswept hills fell away to be devoured by white. He caught a last glimpse of Gaewan far below, looking up at him and watching with awe. The deep, infinite roar of a thousand voices of thunder swallowed Paul as he fell into a blinding white sun.
Someone squeezed and shook his arm. He felt very cold all of a sudden. Paul awoke to see the morning sky overhead and three figures in white standing over him. Spectres! Jerking with fright, he tried to roll away but ran into a pair of feet. Hey man, chill already. We're just checking on you. He blinked his bleary eyes a few times and adjusted to the sunlight. They were three young men in white sweats and running shoes. He recognized a fellow drama student. Rob? Yeah, Paul. And here's Auntie M. There's no place like home. What the hell are you doing lying out in the field and in costume? Did you sleep here or something? Must have. Paul sat up and rubbed his face, in the process discovering the gold ring from Anariok still on his hand. He rubbed his hands over his sleeves. The plushness of the outfit from the royal tailor felt good under his fingers. It was no dream. He had proof this time, at least for himself. He wasn't covered with dew, therefore he hadn't been there all night. But he didn't have to tell his friends. And no one will believe the ring or the costume originates from another world. Surveying the field, he could see in the distance his overturned carton of milk next to the half-open box of donuts on the milk-stained, flattened bag. Just lay down to watch the stars last night. That's my food over there. Over there? One turned and frowned at the litter. Did your food sleepwalk? Probably to get away from him. Drama majors, jeez. Especially a guy with the last name of a Baroque composer. Despite his twenty-some kids. Just how did you get that? Johann Sebastian wasn't African or Polynesian. When my great-great-grandfather escaped to the North during the Civil War, he was asked for his last name. It was said he loved church music and, also being able to read, was able to remember Bach's name from the hymnals. So... That's a good story, but it doesn't explain why you're out here all night getting a Shakespearean moon tan. (laughs) Artsy tights. Got to have a screw loose to get into this part of the university. And you psychology majors think everybody's crazy but yourselves. What the hell time is it? Paul hugged himself to generate some warmth. He felt very hungry. Uh, quarter past seven. Breakfast opens in 15 minutes. If your buddy is okay, Rob, let's finish up. Sure thing. He leaned in close. Don't let the costume shop find out you slept out here in that outfit. You know how grumpy those seamstresses can get. If this was a new method for developing a character, I want to hear about it. Turning to join his friends as they started away, he waved. See you in class. That afternoon, after a physics class that had ended in an argument between two students and the teacher about the properties of light, Paul wandered despondently down the wide, empty main hall from the classroom. He continually rubbed his finger over the ring from Anariok as if expecting it to vanish at any moment. Though part of him was glad to be alive and glad that he hadn't dreamed his adventures on Fayek, I'm still here on this world, alone. From what Gaewan had said to him at the last, he knew a mystic gateway would not be soon appearing, if ever. And he didn't believe another picnic of milk and donuts would alleviate the impending gloom. Nor would another relationship with a young woman of this world. 
Despite the unfathomable distance between them now, his heart was forever bonded to Marie. Ignoring the world around him, he walked on, puzzling over what to do with himself and how to keep busy enough to forget the loneliness. Excuse me? He looked up from his feet to see a strikingly familiar dark-haired girl standing in his path. She wore a bright yellow blouse and blue jeans. Clutched in one of her hands and sticking out of the stack of books held under her other arm were various papers and booklets given to students their first day on the campus of the main university. I'm new here, a transfer student, and I was hoping you could help me. I think I'm lost. She glanced at one of the papers while bending down to rest the stack on the floor. Paul felt his mouth hang open like a fish out of water. I, um, I think I'm the one who's lost. Excuse me? She stood up again with a curious look. He shook himself out of his stupor and offered a hand, daring to hope, to touch. I'm sorry. My name is Paul. Paul Bach. And I'd love to help you out. What's your name? A familiar sparkle in her eyes, she smiled fondly as she touched her fingers to his. Marie, my lord. Here ends Agents of the Dark One, Part Two of A Bridge of Doom. The story continues in Part Three. Enchanter's Lot. A Bridge of Doom, Part Two Agents of the Dark One. The sound plays were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2022. Character voices are performed by William Bloxham, Geraldine Cummings, Kevin Norris, Ira Lively, Todd Suarez, and H. the Great and Powerful. The novel and sequels of the Quintology are available through Amazon.com or on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly and at best price with additional bonuses from the author by submitting a request to our email. Music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by Evan McDonald, Florian Serral, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, High Street Music of London and licensed by PremiumBeat.com Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons More detailed music and performer credits can be requested from the Harkin Theatre at Yahoo.com Sound effects and original Foley provided by Cusp Studios and the BBC Library This was recorded on location in 
the universe.